Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Tuesday, December 3rd, 2019, and you know what that means. It's time to get nerdy, y'all. Welcome to episode number 118 of Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. I'm Lom, also known as Mr. Nice Guy, and I've got my comrade in gaming commentary here with me, the miggity 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 Mac, also known as Maction. Mac, how are things? How was Turkey Day, man? Turkey Day was pretty good. You know, it was it was really interesting. So we are here in Omaha, of course, as I've mentioned in the past, um, and we do have the advantage of having, you know, of having uh, family around here. And right. because of that, you know, we had uh, we had the inn at a couple of, uh, or at least one thanksgiving friendsgiving if you will that uh, that was really quite great uh, met some people here in omaha that i that i hadn't met before uh, this is uh, of, this is in addition to the family thanksgiving uh, it was more of in lieu of the family thanksgiving we oh, just kind gotcha. of all okay. had it at one thing although cool. it was mostly friends so it was a little bit more friendsgiving than it was thanksgiving if you catch my drift awesome awesome uh, but one thing that was funny is that one of the people that I, you know, uh, that I met, he mentioned, I don't know how we got on the subject, but he mentioned that uh, he has uh, some friends who, among other things, play through all of the Mega, the whole Mega Man series around Christmas. And I was like, what a coincidence. I happen to play through the whole Mega Man series around Christmas, if by around Christmas you mean <clears throat> usually Thanksgiving. Um, and on that note, I didn't actually play the whole series on Thanksgiving like I normally did. I had more obligations this year, so instead I just played uh, Mega Man 1, 2, and 11. Uh, you know, kind of skipped to the end. But um, uh, but it was really quite funny because it because basically I it looks like I have an invitation to do a Mega Man, uh, you know, to do a Mega Man marathon run with a bunch of people i've never met before which i think might be a fun christmas activity so yeah that was the interestingness from my turkey day what about you how was yours dude it was good but now i have guilt because i'm not gonna lie i completely forgot that you do the Mega Man thing and i didn't tune in oh well that's okay i also don't think i also don't think i got a notification so shame on you twitch um but i'll go back and watch the vod and see how it went but thanksgiving was good man you know me you know i smoked some meat um and you also know that I smoked more than one piece of meat, right? Mm-hmm. So I smoked turkey, and I smoked a ham. And, you know, speaking of that, so I have kind of an interesting thing that happened, Mac, mm-hmm. uh, kind of an exciting thing. So, you know, we're still uh, we're still not sponsored in any way for the podcast, which is totally cool. We're still just loving doing it for the love of the game. But I did get a personal sponsorship as a result of someone who watched my comedy special mm-hmm. and really enjoyed it and has connections to the barbecue community. Uh, there's a website called Barbecue Guru. Okay. And the guy who owns the marketing company for them watched my comedy special and sent me a bunch of really, really awesome barbecue gear. Um, and so within the next week or so, I'm going to be doing some video reviews of those gear. Uh-huh. Uh, and the reason I mentioned it is because this all came together right around Thanksgiving. Like we were emailing back and forth and he said, all right, packages in the mail. And I was like, wow, that was quick. And then like the day after Thanksgiving, I got all kinds of cool tech stuff, um, nerdy barbecue stuff that helps regulate temperature. And it's it's pretty dang cool, Max. So that was one of the highlights of my week that I thought I'd share with the people because I talk about barbecue on here a lot in addition to gaming. So kind of cool. Um, but Turkey Day was good, man. The food was fantastic. We had like five pies. Like I said, we had the smoked ham, the smoked turkey. Um, families in town for some special events. So my house was packed, but it was great, man. We had a blast. Nice. That sounds like a fantastic Thanksgiving. Now, last week you mentioned sweet potato pie. Yes. Did you get a slice of sweet potato pie this year? I did. How was it? Was it as everything you remembered? No, this year's sweet potato pie was store-bought, and it was very underwhelming, uh, So, w- which is unfortunate. However, the homemade apple pies that we had as a function of the, you know, of the day were quite delightful. 10 out of 10 would eat again. 10 out of 10 would eat again. I love it. Well, Mac, I just sent out the tweet, so we should be getting all our regulars and hopefully some non-regulars in here. 
Um, but on that note, I say we do what we do best, and we hop right into the gaming news. What do you think about that, my friend? Let's do it, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is episode number 118 of Two Nerds in a Pod, nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. We're hopping right into all of this awesome gaming news. Um, let's start with, uh, man, I, there's so much stuff, Mac. There's so much good stuff that I want to share, and I just don't know where to start, man. Um, we'll start with Super Mario Maker. How about that? Let's do. Uh, Super Mario Maker 2 adds Link as a playable character is the title of this one. This is on GameInformer.com. Uh, written by Brian Shea, it says, Nintendo has announced its big version 2.0.0 update for Mario Maker 2. While, with, while many expected a new stage theme to create within, Nintendo instead surprised players with new elements, a new speedrun-focused mode, and an unexpected new playable character from one of Nintendo's other flagship franchises. Title gave it away, y'all. Spoiler alert. Uh, it says, The biggest addition with the new update is the Master Sword Power-Up, which adds Link from the Legend of Zelda series as a playable character. Instead of simply a cosmetic transformation, as, well, as was the case with the first Super Mario Maker's Mystery Mushroom Power-Up, the Master Sword actually changes Mario and friends into Link, complete with his arsenal of weapons. Link can attack enemies with his sword, blow up obstacles with a bomb, aim and fire with his bow, and even deflect objects with his shield. Unfortunately, much like the Mystery Mushroom costumes in the first game, Link is exclusive to the Super Mario Bros. 1 theme. Now what that means for those of you who may not be familiar, in Super Mario Maker 2, there's, uh, there's Mario 1 style levels, there's Mario 2, there's Mario 3, and then it goes all the way up to New Super Mario Brothers, if that makes sense. So you can design levels within the aesthetics of any of those games. Link is only available in Mario Brothers 1. Mac, do you think we're going to start to get more quote-unquote maker games? Do you think this is a hint at potentially a Zelda or a Mega Man or a Donkey Kong maker game in the future from Nintendo? You know, I don't know. I would quite enjoy that. Uh, as a matter of fact... Um, one of the things that I feel, uh, I mean, this isn't quite Mario or Mario Maker or Zelda Maker, but we do know that uh, because they mentioned it, that uh, in Breath of the Wild, when they were making Breath of the Wild, that they did a lot of their work by, you know, I know this is going back a ways, but they they actually made a bunch of the stuff in uh, in like. Link 1, like Link 1 style, they made a bunch of maps and things for, they tested mechanics and tested ideas and feel of things in Zelda 1, so sure, I sure. think there could definitely be something that's kind of kept in the back. We already know that they've programmed stuff for that, and it would only make sense for them to make tools that allow them for easy modification and creation of new levels in those older aesthetics. So I would not be surprised one bit if there is a Zelda maker that's on the way. Now, of course, Nintendo has... Uh, there have been fan attempts to make Zelda makers in the past that Nintendo has crushed beneath their heels. Uh, but uh, but who knows? Maybe eventually we'll get it, but only from them. Only from them. Now, Mac, but, but to be fair, though, there was a Mega Man maker, right? Yes, but Mega Man is Capcom, not Nintendo. And Capcom, uh, okay. unlike Nintendo, is very, very cool with fans. Okay, very good. It's just interesting because the original Mega Man games were exclusive to Nintendo. I guess now, though, you're right. They're on PlayStation. They're on Xbox. So it's not an exclusive. Um, what maker game would you like to see? It doesn't have to be a Nintendo exclusive. But, like, if, if you could design a level in any game universe, what would you pick? Uh, Mega Man is what I would pick. I have picked, and uh, I'm thrilled with it. Although I'm sure Mario Maker is great, Mega Man is my favorite, so I'm glad I already have it. Although Zelda would be a close second. Gotcha. Well, spoiler alert, we'll talk a little bit more about Mario Maker later in the show. Um, let's talk about Apex Legends and uh, and their, their level cap changes that recently came up this week. As you guys may be able to tell with Black Friday and Thanksgiving, there isn't quite as much super awesome news as there normally is so some of the stories are not typically stuff we'd share but this week uh we were scratching the bottom of the barrel so this is it it's this comes from gamespot.com it's written by james o'connor 
It says, uh, Apex Legends was due to receive a big update today, December 3rd, and it's now arrived on PC. That means that once you've downloaded the update, you'll experience a level cap increase from 100 to one, or excuse me, from 100 to 500, giving you many more levels to climb through. Console owners will have to wait a little bit longer, though, with a delay pushing the update back to an unknown date. Moments before the update was due, the official Apex Legends Twitter account let everyone know it would now arrive later. Mac, do you play any games that require leveling up? Is there any game you play right now? Um, I know you don't do competitive stuff in PvP or PvE, or rather PvP. Um, but anything you do where you there's a level cap. Sure. Dungeons and Dragons, level cap at level 20. Okay. Now, do you think Dungeons and Dragons would ever increase their level cap? I don't know. I I feel like level like 20 level 20's been the level cap for a long time. I want to say second edition. I I I never really played first edition that much, so I couldn't tell you, but I feel like second, third, fourth, and now fifth, they all have a level 20, 20, uh, level 20, uh, you know, level cap. So I don't know. I feel like it's a, it's tradition at this point. Yeah. And I guess I think the reason that people do this is to kind of increase replayability. Once maybe a certain percentage of players reach the level cap, they say, you know what, let's increase it because it's almost like a badge of honor. Um, to say, hey, I've reached the max level in such and such game. That shows how much time I've put in and how devoted I am. I typically don't ever reach a level cap in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I just play it for fun. And typically by the time I'd ever reach the level cap, I'd be bored. So I guess I don't understand why level caps are increased. I'm more a fan of content keeping my attention than I am of doing the stuff I'm already doing and leveling up. That's just my opinion, but... More power to those who want to reach level 500 in Apex Legends. I think that will take a while. Uh, let's move on to our next news story, which, Mac, this is probably my favorite news story of the day. Something that got me extremely hyped to do the show today. Uh, this is about Halo Reach, uh, and it's from PCGamer.com, written by Wes Fenland. It says, uh, let's see, five years ago, Microsoft released the Halo Master Chief Collection on the Xbox One, uniting nearly the entire Halo series in one mammoth game. It was a disaster. The collection was so buggy and broken, Halo developer 343 Industries has spent the last few years fixing its many, many issues. Today, that apology tour finally arrives on PC with Halo Reach, the 2019 release of a 2010 Xbox 360 game. The author says, I played it on Steam alongside 140,000 other people who are clearly excited to play a Halo game on PC again. Good news for all of us. Reach looks great, feels great, and has almost everything I want out of a PC port. It's the opposite of the Master Chief's collection's terrible debut. Uh, Mac, you never played Halo Reach, did you, on Xbox 360? Was that one that you missed? Uh, no, I did play Halo Reach. Okay, where would you rank it among Halos? Because I know you've played the originals. Oh. Did you do the campaign, or what, what were you doing in Halo Reach? I did the campaign, and around the time that it came out, we also uh, played, uh, we also played, you know, oh gosh, I can't think what it's called now, but we've played the, P- the local PvP back when it came out. Um, I would say it's pretty high up there. It was a very solid game, at least. I thought it was at the time, and uh, I'm looking forward to revisiting it, honestly. Yeah, I, I'll tell you guys straight up. So Halo, along with Splinter Cell, this Halo Reach is one of the games that I credit with making me a hard... Excuse me. Ah, hiccups. A hardcore gamer. Um, because it was the first Halo that I really, really got into, and it was the first game that I bought when I got my Xbox 360 in 2010. Uh, and, and I put so much time into it. The multiplayer was just phenomenal. Hardcore Halo people didn't like the fact that there were armor abilities like armor lock and things like that, but I, I just thought it was a phenomenal game, and it's downloading right now on my Xbox. Uh, for those of you who have not started the update, it's about 40 gigs, uh, so it's going to take a while even with... Um, good internet. Now that that update is not just for Halo Reach. That includes updates to the Master Chief Collection. Period. So I'm excited to jump back in. Um, I'm excited for Halo Reach to have new life, and hopefully Microsoft got it right. Based on this article, it sounds like they did. Uh, so Mac, if you end up getting it on PC, man, let me know because I'd love to get your impressions on what you think of it. Well, I suspect I'm going to. A very good friend of mine who lives out in North Carolina, he has, uh, you know, he and I played through uh, uh, 
Halo 1, 2, and we would have done 3, but neither of us had a 360 at the time, but we've kind of made a thing about playing through the Halo games together, so I suspect that eventually here I will get myself a copy of the Master Chief Collection because we've got to keep it rolling. And of course also, you know, since it's cross-platform, uh, you and I have to take down some Covenant as well. Dude, I didn't. it's cross-platform? Oh. I wasn't sure. I thought it was. Um, well, I'm not 100% sure, but the fact that you were like, ah, you should tell me if you get it for PC, I was just like, oh, that, I guess that means it must be cross-platform. I hadn't checked. I was going to say I would potentially get a PC copy. And it may be, I, I don't think it is, but it may be because it's a Game Pass thing. Um, so I can get it for free on Game Pass. Uh, and because it's on Game Pass on PC as well, it may be cross-platform, but I don't know. Someone confirm or deny that for us, please. Uh, Mac, we move on to our next news story. We got like one or two more that I want to get through. Uh, this one comes from PCMag.com, and it's by Matthew Humphreys. It's about the PlayStation 5 dev kits. Uh, it says, There have been a lot of rumors lately suggesting Sony's PlayStation 5 development kits are an unusual V-shaped design. It turns out the rumors are true, and there's a very good reason for the bizarre casing. As Eurogamer reports, the tweet was posted to the Drunk Cat account on Saturday, including a photo of the PS5 dev kits. Mac, have you seen this pic by chance? I have seen the, the picture. Okay, cool. Uh, it says the photo was later confirmed as being real by Tom Warren, senior editor at The Verge. You can see the photo in the tweet below that I'm reading in this article. Development kits come in all shapes and sizes, with very early ones looking much like a typical desktop PC. The PS5 dev kit is different, though, and it's because of the cooling system being used. Sony wanted to offer developers the ability to stack the game's console for stress testing across multiple machines. Stacking lots of consoles on top of each other creates a lot of heat, so Sony added the V-shaped case to house the cooling system above the components. Um, with the, I'm not even going to read the rest of the article. Any chance that the ending product of the PS5 looks anything like this, Mac? Or you think they just did this for the purpose that it says in the article? Well, you know, it's unlikely because, of course, you've seen some of those uh, production images or those uh, dev kit images of previous PlayStations, as well as, I mean, even uh, previous things like the original Xbox and, and, and such. The, you know, the sort of dev kits rarely look like what's going to come out at the end. And, uh, yeah, I, I doubt it, although I honestly wouldn't mind. I think it looks kind of cool. Yeah, I do too. Um, I don't know. I feel like when people start to stray too much from traditional design is when flaws come. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I don't know. I And I don't know what possibly could be an issue with having something that's not just a solid console. You know, but I feel like having this dip in it, it would there's, there's something that would go wrong. Um, I feel like when they make these consoles, there's really no way for them to test what will happen with them two, three, year, four years down the line, which is quite frankly why we saw the Ring of Death with the Xbox 360. Uh, and so I hope that Sony does something a little bit spicy, for lack of a better term, but nothing too crazy when they release their new their new console. I hope it's something somewhat traditional. We will see what happens. Um, one or two more news stories, Mac, and then we'll keep things moving. What do we got here? We talked about Mario Maker, Apex, Halo. Oh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, Mac... And we can get a little bit nostalgic with this. Um, we're coming up on 25 years of, uh, of PlayStation. And I hope I didn't steal your thunder if you were going to talk about that in gaming history. Well, a little bit, but only because it's the PlayStation was released in 1994 in Japan. Uh, but since I've usually celebrated the North American releases, uh, it's September 1995 for the North American release. So you're right. Yep, we're coming up on 25 years or what have you of, uh, of, uh, of PlayStation. But keep in mind, that's from the, uh, from the Japanese, not from the North America release. Gotcha. Well, just to kind of wrap up news, to put a little bow on it, Mac, let's just talk about some of our favorite PlayStation franchises. I know you've played some of the old school ones. Um, you got a couple, maybe two or three that are some of your favorites that you have good memories of, just in honor of 25 years. What do you got for me, man? I can go um, first if you want. Uh, well, the Resident Evil franchise, particularly Resident Evil 2, I have very vivid memories of. Um Legend of Dragoon and Final Fantasy VIII, to name a couple. What about you? 
Dude, there's too many. Now, I, I'll say this. The first game that I ever, and I may have talked about this on the pod before, but the first game that I ever, like, stayed up, like, to, like, 2 or 3 a.m. playing as far as a single player was uh, was some of the Ratchet & Clank games back in the day. Up Your Arsenal, Ratchet Deadlocked, uh, and I can't remember the other ones. But those were were some games that really had an impact on me. And, and I was probably, like, college age, young college age at the time. Uh, and they're probably more designed for like, well, they're designed for all ages, but they're they're kind of like kiddie almost kid kid like games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stayed up and loved those games. Hey, they were a lot of there's fun. There's nothing wrong with that. Spyro, Ratchet and Clank, Crash Bandicoot. Sure, they all have a little bit of you know kidness to them, but uh, that they're still great for all ages. Yeah, absolutely, great games. Uh, I like that they remade one for the PS4. Um, and I mean, of course, you know, I got to talk about Uncharted, The Last of Us. Oh, man, what else? Those are probably like the main franchises that really the main IPs, I should say, that really had a big impact on me. But I have a lot of memories of PlayStation 3. I've owned absolutely all of them. So congrats to Sony on 25 years. Uh, Mac, that has been our news for the week. Over to you, buddy. All right. Well, let's take a look into the past with a bit of video game history. So I first have to issue a little bit of a retraction. Last week, I said that all Game Boy Color games could be played on the original Game Boy, and I was wrong about that. Many of them can. However, it was from my own personal experience that I had not played any Game Boy Color games that I couldn't have played on my original gray brick Game Boy. So my bad, my bad. But uh, but there were some Game Boy Color games that were only playable on the Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance could not be played on the original Game Boy. <clears throat> but onward and upward. One thing that I did miss last week, which certainly ties into a lot of PlayStation stuff going on, um, was actually last week in 2001, uh, the Sony One or the Sony uh, PS One had that. Um, that screen released for it. I don't know if you remember that, Mr. Nice Guy, but there was a but there was a little, you know, I want to say it was like a four or five inch LCD screen with speakers uh, that you plugged into your PS One, and you could basically take it more or less portably um, around with you, kind of the same way that we would do with, uh, you know, with like a Nintendo Switch now, but you could do back in uh, in two thousand one. It didn't work quite as well as something like a Switch would, but it was definitely great for car rides if you were, you know, privileged enough to have your hands on one of those. But uh, you know the one now, I'm talking about. I think about, right? I actually had. Now I believe there was a PS One that just had the screen built in, where you didn't have to attach it. And I'm 99% sure that I had one of those. I think it's at my parents' house in Seattle. Um, but it was fun. I mean, it just made it so much more convenient. PS One graphics. You look back at them now, and they were so terrible. But at the time, it didn't matter. It was just a cool thing to have that screen, so you could play portable. Yeah, at the time, head and shoulder. It, it was just really great. There were some graphics that were honestly astounding for the time, uh, particularly like those full, like those uh, uh, cutscenes for Final Fantasy VIII. They just knocked me out the first time I saw them. Now, uh, in that line as well, uh, the PlayStation Classic was released last year, this last week. So there we go. Um, Let's see here. Ooh, a couple more good ones. Um, Super Castlevania 4, or as, you know, released for the Super Nintendo um, in 1991. But it was so there had been Castlevanias 1, 2, and 3 on the original Nintendo, and this was Castlevania 4. And in my opinion, it should have just been called Castlevania 4, but they called it Super Castlevania 4 because, you know, Super Mario World, Super Mario Kart, you know, all these things, they were throwing the super on it, so they went with Super Castlevania 4. Uh, good, solid Castlevania game, the ability to really uh, use your whip, swing into things, a lot of the fun stuff that they did with graphics and, you know, more of those different modes that you could do with the Super Nintendo. Uh, it was a really solid game in the franchise. Um... Uh, the first Pong machine was uh, uh, was available commercially in uh, 1972. The first Pong arcade machine was available in 1972. I think it goes without saying how influential and important Pong has been. 
um, and then of course uh, released um, this past week, Super Ma- Super Smash Brothers Melee. Nice. You know what, dude? We're on the same wavelength. Because I saw someone tweet that out, that it had come out 18 years ago, and I almost tagged you in the tweet, and I was like, nope, he's going to know that, and you did. So, uh, Mac, do you have good memories of that game? I have phenomenal Um, memories of it. Not really. I was never much of a head-to-head competitive type person, Um, so I just would always get myself destroyed in all the Smash Brothers games, melee included. So, but tell us, tell us about your fond memories of it, Mr. Nice Guy. So I've already told the story. Do it again for all of the new people who are coming in here at episode 118 to the show. Okay. So very first PAX ever, Penny Arcade Expo. You guys know about it. It's a gaming conference. It was held in Bellevue, Washington, where I grew up. So my brother, my friend, and I all went to the competition and they had a Super Smash Brothers tournament. And uh, you know what's funny? My brother's actually here in my house right now. I should have him come up and tell this story. Um, but I won't for in interest of time. But the long long story short, we all entered the competition. My brother's an absolute killer at Super Smash Brothers, And so he was just pulling off crazy moves on people. And to end one of the matches, it was like a five-stock match. Everyone got five lives. Um, he, like, picked up the character that he was battling against, knocked him off the edge... And the guy was coming back, um, but my brother was edge guarding. He threw a barrel at the guy, and the barrel turned and shot the guy off the level, and he won the match. And I can't really use words to describe how epic of a moment this was, but suffice it to say, everyone in the audience, this was probably like um, like Sweet 16 of the match, and several hundred of people had entered. Um, everyone was jumping up and down. It was crazy, dude. Uh, and so it, I, I wish that back then Twitch existed because if it had been live streamed, it would have been a great moment in gaming history. So we have good memories of Smash. Um, one interesting thing about it, Mac, is they had advanced techniques. So they had a move called L canceling where you could cancel your moves mid-move. Uh, they had wave dashing that you could use to get around the levels quicker. And Nintendo, it resulted in Super Smash Brothers Melee being basically an esports title. Uh, which Nintendo doesn't really like that. And so as they have made subsequent Smash Brothers, they've actually taken out those advanced techniques and tried to make it more basic and more family-friendly, more kid-friendly. Um, so it's not as eSports... It's still used in eSports, but it's not as eSports advanced as it used to be. Mm. Just thought I'd share that. Yeah, no, no. Good. I appreciate, even though I've got nothing really to say about Smash Brothers Melee, I'm glad that you've got these sorts of things to offer. Because, yeah, I mean, if that was the sort of last Smash Brothers that really had all the advanced techniques, that's something I would not have known. And thanks for sharing it. Not a problem. Uh, But that's what I had for video game history for this week. Nice. Well, we'll we'll go ahead to our next segment, y'all, which is our topic of the week, a segment where we talk about something that's relevant in gaming today and give our opinions on it. Mac, this is kind of a niche story, but I think it's just kind of cool and I want to talk about it um, because you and I are both really big on game preservation. Um, And so this is about an unreleased game that was recently discovered. And I want to kind of get your thoughts on this whole premise. This is on IGN.com and it's written by Joseph Noop. I hope I pronounced that right. It says, an unreleased prototype of Eurocom Spider-Man 4 game has been discovered on a debug Wii development kit, showing us what might have served as a tie-in game adaptation for Sam Raimi's cancelled fourth Spider-Man film. This is so interesting to me. In a YouTube video from Hard for Games, first reported by Gaming Alexandria, the prototype shows off a number of unfinished environments and sequences from the game. Whoops, accidentally clicked on picture. Bear with me, y'all. It goes on to say, those include some inner city and downtown streets, some of which were used as areas to showcase special effects, gunshots, some sort of green ooze, while others show off Spider-Man swinging and wall climbing abilities. Judging from the footage we can see, it seems like Eurocom Spider-Man game was understandably going to be a more linear experience than something like 2018's Marvel's Spider-Man. Spider-Man can only web onto specific grab points highlighted in green, although there are a couple interactions where he does a move similar to the web launch maneuver we see in 2017 E3 gameplay. Okay, it goes on to talk more and more about the game. Um, But Mac, it's so interesting to me that this game was discovered from a dev kit, and it seems like it was pretty close to completion. So let me ask you this. In this situation, 
where a game is created and it's supposed to be a tie-in with something cinematic and the cinema gets canceled. Should they just release the game or should it just fall by the wayside and kind of be forgotten and lost forever, man? People put blood, sweat, and tears into this. Mr. Nice Guy, that's not really a question for the very reason that you just offered. People put blood, sweat, and tears into that. It had ideas. It had mechanics. It had uh, it captured a moment in time that even that precisely because the film was canceled is even more Im- important for release, right? Because without that, you know, what sort of record, what sort of historical, you know... Uh, what sort of historical record do we even have of the failed movie aside or of the canceled movie apart from this game is isn't not all that remains of it i mean i don't know what you can get your hands on about the fourth sam Raimi Raimi spider-man movie that was that was canceled but you know i mean the game absolutely needs to be released or preserved or or what have you it is it is itself a piece of forgotten history. It's so crazy to me that people find these games um, via dev kit, right? There, there was one story we talked about a while ago where someone purchased like an old, I don't know what console it was. It might have been a PS2. Um, and there was a disc in it from Sony that was like a bunch of secret stuff uh, that had never been released. I mean, I don't understand why they can't just release this stuff later. I mean, there's so many games that are released for free. You know what I mean? They could just release this for free and say, hey, it's free to play or, you know, pay what you want. You know, pay a dollar. You can look at this old unreleased Spider-Man game. If nobody's interested, fine. I don't see how it could possibly cost them any money to just put it out there. Now, granted, the graphics are pretty bad. But I, I think that the people would still like to see this type of thing. Well, the cost is mostly in the sense of, you know, basically server space in order for people to download it. And, you know, depending upon how hard up they are for, you know, for places to put games, that might be an issue. But, yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with you that it ought to be available for somebody who loves this sort of weird stuff like you and I do you know, to at least give it a shot. How? Here's another question. How hard do you think it would have been for them to rebrand the game? Because if the game was actually going to be called Spider-Man 4 the movie game or something like that, obviously they can't use that title. But don't you think that they could have potentially just, you know, released it and changed the name, changed a few things, or even maybe done it as an add-on? To a future title. Sure, I think so. Um, there are a few different uh, games that I could think of that have similar uh, similar mechanics that could potentially be disguised as that. Uh, for example, Bionic Commando is an IP that's been around since the original Nintendo, where you know the Bionic Commando has basically a grappling hook and swings around a lot like Spider-Man. Um, exactly. You know, rebranded as that. Sure, uh, I, I think release it as a sort of add-on for you know a dlc for another spider-man title or whatever but uh but like i said i am i i'm very biased and and this specific game aside this is something that we see a lot in the gaming industry we see games that are worked on and then they're canceled for whatever reason and they're probably pretty close to finished and i get it you know if you're a sucker punch or a naughty dog or a ubisoft you don't want to put out crap you don't want to put out stuff that's going to tarnish your image but i feel like if you do it with the caveat that hey this is something we were working on it wasn't up to our standards but we still want you to be able to see it don't judge us for it just enjoy it for what it is you know have some fun with it realize that it's not the the complete game we thought it was going to be um, I feel like that would be a really great way to still give credit to people who have worked on it. And and here's the thing too. Let's say that you're an artist, Mac, and this is your first big break working artist. on this Spider-Man game. More so than you are right now. You're a, let's say you're a game designer and you do you do environments or you do um, game mechanics or you just sketch stuff. You do the storyboards. Uh, you can never use the fact that you worked on an unreleased game as a credit because the game never came out and no one can see proof of it. And so I feel like at the very least, 
they could give credit where credit is due. Maybe they could even provide the option to say, hey, if you worked on this game and you don't want your name listed in any type of credit, we won't put it on there because we realize the game was not complete. You may feel like it's not your best work. Um, we won't name you if you don't want us to, but if you're a new guy or girl in the industry and you want some, some time, some, some, uh, clout for this, we'll give it to you. I feel like that would only be fair. So anyway, that's what I have to say about this. Let us know what you think in the chat. Um, I, I want to see more games like this release and it's not unheard of Mac. We saw it with star Fox two. Uh, when it was put out on the NES Classic. So this is a very feasible thing. The SNES that, Classic. I'm so sorry. The SNES Classic. You're right. Um, but that has been our topic of the week. Back back over to you. All right. Well, uh, let's take a look now. Turn our attention to a game that is trying to get funded. Um, and it is fitting that on the tale of so many conversations about, uh, you know, uh, about... Um, Oh, gosh, uh, about Super Smash Brothers, that our Kickstarter uh, project today should have some things in common with that. At the end, of course, we always ask that uh, that you who are with us live tell us whether you think this game should be kick or kick-started. So let's get started here. Let's do this, it. Let's do it. This game is called Slayers for Hire. And, uh, you know, immediately you will see what I'm talking about as it shares a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of stuff in common with the Smash Brothers formula. Uh, they call it a platform fighter, and I think that sounds, that sounds cool to me as a sort of generic uh, term for this style of game. They're hoping for $50,000 in order to put this game together. And for release in do 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 do, uh, for release in February 2020 or so is what they're looking for. Um, if you are interested in a game like this, sort of the uh, the minimum buy-in price would be basically uh, twenty dollars or so to get in there. Now, this of course is a little bit different though. Because what's going on is this game is going to be released as a free-to-play title. Uh, once it's finally released, it'll be free-to-play. The $20 doesn't so much give you, uh, you know, give you the game because it's free-to-play, but it unlocks all the characters for your account. Uh, gives you access to the alpha, um, as well as, you know, as well as is basically unlocks everything in the game or as they put it in there it's basically worth infinite money within the game what they're talking about uh, so anything that they unlock anything that they open you have access to for the twenty dollars um so yeah let's let's dive in a little bit more um platform fighters at the current moment they've shown off uh, two different uh, two different slayers uh that are for use um, and do, 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 and they've got a listing of the, well, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, of the six characters that are going to be, uh, you know, are going to be part of the initial roster of the game with some details about the various, uh, you know, how the various characters are going to play some, you know, descriptions and some, uh, even examples of how it works. Um, so, Mr. Nice Guy, anything grab you about this off the Yeah, off the bat? first and foremost, I love, I love the way it looks. Uh, and I feel like I find myself saying that a lot, um, but I really like the way it looks. When I first saw it, it reminded me of a recent free-to-play game that came out that was kind of a Monster Hunter clone called Dauntless. And I really like the art of that game. I really like what I think the art in this game is going to look like. Um, the, the thing that really grabs me, though, is they're asking for money for a free-to-play game, but in the subtitle, it says there will not be any loot boxes. <laughs> so with most free-to-play games, they have it set up that they will make money in some way. Uh, I can't help but assume that there will be some type of microtransaction in the form of unlocking those characters. So $20 to unlock the characters, that's fine. But do I also have the option to just play the game and grind to unlock the characters? You know, without any reference of how much it will cost to unlock each character and or how long it would take to play the game just to unlock the characters, I can't say that I would personally give $20 
to unlock the characters. I hope I said that in a way that made sense. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. And I may have missed it the first time I went looking around in this Kickstarter, but I found it difficult to answer that question myself as like what is the you know uh, what is the general sort of thing i i feel like i feel like based on the way things are phrased that that means that they're going to be you know that you're going to pay to unlock uh new characters i i, I don't didn't see any reference to unlocking the characters through playing but that could just be me i'm uh, you know not 100 percent sure it was not clear um but i too really enjoy the artwork mr nice guy it it has a sort of you know it has a sort of uh you know painted impressionist it it reminds me a little bit of some of the scenes in okami you know some a lot of the background art that i've that i've seen in the uh in the renders that they have there on the game okay so, yeah, yeah, yeah so definitely beautiful beautiful work um now, just a couple things that also have me a little bit concerned. Uh, one, this is their uh, this is the first uh, the first game that is being made by Ryan at Meta Games. The first game made by uh, by Meta Games and the first Kickstarter. Um, the team is composed of uh, seventeen people uh, at the moment, and you know, uh, let's see, yeah, the team. Over 20 people, including the team who created Earth Romancer, have contributed the game to the game so far, and they link you to their website where there's a full bio of full bio of the individuals associated with the uh, you know with the game. Um, however, I didn't see anybody in that list that I recognized. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just one of those things to keep in mind when people are asking you know for money if you have any good examples of you know have they done this type of thing before and have they done so successfully sorry <clears throat> one of those things where you're you're good man but uh, one thing i will say that it, slayers for hire definitely has going for it is that it has the very important playable demo available how was the demo unfortunately i got tied up today and haven't had a chance to play it but I will report back later. That being said, the very fact that there is a demo that you can play on, you know, a something that you can try out bodes very well. And if this is something that you guys, you know, might be interested in, if it scratches an itch, then you've at least got something to see before you drop $20. And $20 is not that much it might be kind of you know skirting that edge of what mr nice guy and i would like to pay for a game when you're supporting it from the beginning but uh and with a free to play game that definitely raises some questions but you know grab the demo try it out uh, see what you guys think um for my part though it's not exactly my cup of tea you know uh, this sort of platformer, you know, uh, platform fighter. Uh, I'm more of a co-op man, not a competitive man. And so uh, this normally would not be my sort of thing. But if I had any interest in the genre at all, I feel like this one would be a kickstart for me. Mr. Nice Guy, what do you think? Yeah, so, I, man, it's tough because we already have the ultimate fighting platformer. In Super Smash Brothers, I mean, there there really aren't words to describe how great of a game this is. Uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, it, it's just absolutely amazing. There's so much to do. There's so many characters. The combat is perfect. Um, it's basically gaming perfection. And this, I mean, it's not something that anyone wants right now or needs. I think that maybe people who are on PC but don't have a Switch could get into this game. But, I mean, we have other games like this. And, unfortunately, I cannot remember the names right now. But there is a PS4 free-to-play title um, that's a platform fighter as well. If someone in the chat knows what I'm talking about, please remind me of the name of that game. Um, now, now, that said, Mac, I think that they've put their Kickstarter together really well. And I don't know if I've ever seen a Kickstarter for a game that is going free-to-play from day one. And so I kind of commend them for that. 
they're basically saying, you know what? We're creating a game where we're going to ask you for money. We're going to make it free to play, but we're confident enough in the product that we are making that we believe we will make money back off of it despite not charging for the game itself. I mean, that takes some balls, man. So I got to respect them for that. I got to give props. Yeah. So what would you say, Mr. Nice Guy? Kick? Kickstart? I mean, I mean, just because I really like that level of confidence, I have to say kickstart. Um, We're getting so many free-to-play games, and so many of them are good nowadays, that when someone is kickstarting one and believes that it's going to be good, I have to believe in them. Um, If their Kickstarter was a mess... I would be a little bit skeptical, but it looks like it's sharp. So I, I really think that this should get kickstarted. Me too, and I say kickstart. And for those of you who are here with us live, again, let us know what you think in the chat. Kick this out of here or kickstart it. Um, yeah, but I think, I think Mr. Nice Guy, I think I'm there with you. It's Even though it's not my cup of tea, even though it's going to be, um, even though it's going to be on, uh, you know, free to play from day one, I wish them all the best. I think they've got a good thing and they've done the groundwork for me to say, you know what, this this is a Kickstarter that I would probably, you know, uh, I'd probably risk my $20 on. So yeah. Nice. Let us know in the chat what you guys think. We forgot to mention this is interactive. So tell us what you think in the chat. Uh, if you think this should be kicked or kickstarted. Mac, how are they doing so far? Um, well, at the current moment, they're they're about eight point five thousand dollars of fifty thousand dollars, so they're about sixteen seventeen percent of the way there, just shy of twenty percent of the way to their goal, and they have uh, eighteen days to go. So uh, definitely a wobbler here. It, it it that might work out. It might not work. Might not work out for them. It's the thing about Kickstarter. I feel like you got to have a following. Mm. You know what I mean? Or some connections. But best of luck to him. I hope it, wor- it works out. Indeed. Best of luck. But that's what I had today for Kicker Kickstart. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for our next segment. A segment we like to call Nerd Flex. Woo-hoo. A segment where we talk about some nerdy questions and answer them. And we see how many of a Mac can answer. No, it's really for both of us. Now, Mac, you know what's interesting Last week we did questions, I believe it was last week, on Dungeons & Dragons. Indeed. Kind of in honor of the fact that I had experienced my first Dungeons & Dragons and you had as well. Speaking of which, I just remembered tomorrow is Wednesday, so if I want to get back in on that game, I could go out to that game shop tomorrow. Um, But anyway, this week, in honor of 25 years of PlayStation, we have some PlayStation-centric questions. And you know what's hilarious is as you were doing gaming history, you basically, like, answered some of the questions. You said, like, PlayStation came out this time in Japan, but this time in North America. And I was thinking, that's one of the questions. So, luckily, I had a few extras. So, let me pull them up right now. How, how do you feel? How confident do you feel about your PlayStation knowledge? Uh, I would say 95. No, 87. Solid 77%. 67. Okay. Low as I can go. Okay, well, we'll do we'll do a few this week. We'll start with an easy one, and I believe this is something that we discussed on a previous episode, so maybe this will just serve as kind of a history lesson for some of our viewers. Um, but here's the first question. The PlayStation console was first designed as a companion to this gaming console. Do you want the choices, or do you already know the answer? Be the Super Nintendo, as it was a joint com- it was a, a joint thing between uh, Nintendo and Sony at the time. That's exactly right. And why do you remember why it ended up not working? I'm trying to remember what happened. Um, Nintendo pulled out uh, on account of I, I believe the big concern was going for discs meant loading times or much longer loading times whereas sticking with cartridges for their next generation the nintendo 64 was uh you know had faster loading times and that's what they were concerned about more concerned about the loading times over the ability to store more information nice now the next there's another question that said when did it first hit shelves in japan the playstation and you already talked about that earlier so we'll skip that one um, we're not going to do sales because I always feel like those are silly questions. Let's see. Here's a good question. What was the best-selling game for the original PlayStation console? 
Um, and I don't know the answer to this, but there's three multiple choices. Yeah, give us the options. So the first one is Grand Theft Auto. The second option is Gran Turismo. The third is Final Fantasy. What was the best-selling game for the original PlayStation console? Were there any other... Was there a number on the Final Fantasy? It just says Final Fantasy in quotes. Um... Hmm. Uh, well, Final Fantasy VII is very well-loved. Uh, Gran Turismo, I feel like I've heard of that a lot. And uh, Grand Theft Auto. I mean, all three Iconics there. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Gran Turismo. Okay. Um, this is so annoying because this... Uh, I'm hitting that answer and it's not telling me what it was. So now I'm going to have to go Google and see <laughs> and see what it was. But the answer I would have gone with... I'm trying to remember if there even was a Grand Theft Auto for the original PlayStation. Um, I'm, I I'm, feel like I'm, there was. I know for sure there was a Gran Turismo and because uh, one of my brothers was a real bit was real big into that. But um, uh, but Robo Ridley comes to our rescue by confirming that GTA 1 and 2 were both on the original PlayStation. I'm going to go with GTA. I'm going to go with Grand Theft Auto. Okay. Um, Mac, while I'm pulling up the next question, do you mind Googling best-selling game? Actually, I can do it right here. Bear with me for a second, y'all. Let me just pull it up here on the tablet. Best-selling game for PlayStation. Best-selling best PSX game? Gran Turismo. Really? Yeah, or at least that's the first one that pops up. Well, that was one of the options, so we have to assume that that's accurate. Indeed. Um, and it's I, also my guess, so we're going to have to assume that I'm I'm accurate two for two. That's crazy, man. I, I'm I'm blown away by that. Um, okay, here's one that you may not know. What year did the PlayStation Three come out? This is an easy one. Um, in my opinion, two thousand four, two thousand six, or two thousand eight. I'm gonna say two thousand and six. Okay, what do you guys think in the chat? We should get them in on this. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with 2006 as well, simply because I remember that it did not come out during 08. Mm. That was obviously the recession, mm -hmm. and that would have been a terrible time to release a console, right? Indeed. Um, but I, I do feel like it was hurt because it came out two years before that, and I believe it was like $500 when it came out, which was the highest price or one of the higher prices of a console. So I'm going to go with 2006. Well, definitely uh, well. same for me. And it appears as though that's uh, pretty universally confirmed by those of us who are here live. Everybody's thinking 2006. And the correct answer is 2008. No, I'm just kidding. It's 2006. You guys are nice. right on the money with We that. did it, nerds. We did it together as a team. Yeah, that one was an easy one. Um, do we want to do some more or do we want to just move on, Mac? Let's do one more. Okay, one more. And then we'll move on. Um, yeah, I don't want to do sales numbers. And I don't want to do another launch date. So many questions. Okay, here's one that may not be as obvious. What was the first PlayStation to have online gaming, Mac? PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, or PlayStation 3? So I'm going to say PlayStation 2, but only because I remember there was a there was a modem plug-in for the back of the PlayStation 2, which you could uh, use later on with a hard drive in order to mod the PlayStation 2 and load games to the hard drive. So uh, PS2 is my guess. Okay. Uh, we'll see what people in the chat think. I can... Uh... I can all but confirm that just because my experience was that I did have that online connector mm -hmm. and I used it to play NBA Live and NBA 2K for PlayStation 2 back in the day. And I had a lot of fun with it. And Robo Ridley used that for Final Fantasy XI. So PS2 nice. is what everybody is saying in the chat. And Spenis also says PS2. And he's, he's a gaming... Uh, guru when it comes to answering these types of questions. The correct answer is PS2. Um, shout out to PlayStation for 25 years once again. Uh, yeah, we went 4 for 4 today. That's right. 
Um, that's been our questions. Now, as a friendly reminder to everyone, you guys can tweet us. You can email us. You can just hit us up on Twitter, um, Twitch, whatever it is, and give us questions each week if you have trivia that we should try out. Uh, and, Mac, that is it for our questions for the week. Back to you, buddy. All right. Well, let's slow things back a little bit. Now we've had some excitement, we've had some fun. Let's get into some real, let's get into the weeds. Let's get into the dry stuff in a segment we call Legalese. Legalese. I am not a lawyer, but sometimes we like to pretend to be ones on a podcast. So <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about Nintendo versus Alpex, right? This is an interesting suit. You know, it, it came and went back in the days of the original, you know, of the original NES. And what was at risk here was that Alpex basically had a patent, more or less, on uh, cartridges. They had the patent on, you know, loading in a cartridge into a game system so that it could play, you know, so that you could play uh, the same hardware but plug in different game ROMs, right? Now, in the original suit, when all when the dust settled, the jury awarded Alpex a 6% royalty on all of Nintendo's, you know, billions of infringing products, which came out to around the neighborhood of 250-ish million. Nintendo later appealed, and during the appeals process, really hammered hard on one specific technological issue about how the original patent describes the display process. Now, uh, this is going back a little ways, but back in the day, television, the, and, and I'm actually going to take some of the words straight from the, uh, uh, from the suit, uh, because they put it pretty well. Um, the television raster, you know, or the drawing of, you know, the, uh, the, the image, display comprises numerous discrete dots or bars, approximately 32,000, which the cathode ray beam illuminates on a standard cycle, which in turn creates the image on the television screen. If you slow a TV screen down enough, you know, pointing a camera on it, there have been some people who've done some good stuff, you can actually see the television being drawn sort of as you read left to right from the top down to the bottom of the screen. It's kind of amazing, uh, you know, how we were able to, to make that work, but I digress. The patented invention requires sufficient RAM to accommodate each of the approximately 32,000 memory positions needed to represent the raster image. Thus, uh, the RAM of a game cartridge holds at least one bit of data for each position in memory map of the raster. Accordingly, this video display system is called bit mapping, because it maps the bits. So. And that's what the patent had, you know, sort of a patent on. It described in great detail this process of holding and, you know, and and ad adjusting each of these. And as a result um, of this type of a, an approach to the graphics on a screen, you could make lots of cool shapes. You could control things very, you know, very tightly. Uh, Nintendo, however, opted for something a little bit different. They had what was called a picture processing unit inside of the console itself that didn't actually address each pixel individually, but rather, and I'll quote back again from here, uh, the PPU to perform in one of eight shift registers, each of which can store a maximum of eight pixels. These slices of data are then processed directly to the screen. The PPU repeats this process to assemble the initial image on the screen, and thereafter it repeats the process as necessary to form changes in images throughout the progression of the game, making it an on-the-fly system. It's undisputed that the NES video display system using shift registers to process slices of images as opposed to entire screens. It is a faster means of displaying movement of images on the video screen than the bitmapping of the RAM-based system of the patent we're supposedly infringing. And uh, this, of course, is true. It's one of the ways that Nintendo was able to really shrink down uh, the amount of data required in order for the, you know, in order for the game graphics to happen. It's this sort of quite genius, uh, you know, genius measure of, of cutting the fat from the, from the code. And, uh, and they won the case on appeals because they processed the video game 
data, the video of the video game in a completely different way. And so they did not have to pay to Alpex that 250 ish million which certainly would have been a hard burden to shoulder at that point in time so yeah sometimes a patent and your 250 million dollar payday can come down to just simple things like were you too specific about how the video is put on the television screen so just as a little bit of uh, of advice if you want to do some patent trolling uh, make sure to make your stuff just generalized enough that they can't catch you on a technicality like that. And that's been a little bit of legal ease for today. I wonder if Nintendo's ever gone after someone legally and lost. Seems like all they do is win, 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 no matter what. Oh, uh, no, they've definitely gone after people and lost. As a matter of fact, one of the ways in which uh, they've gone after someone and lost has been uh, about emulators. Emulators and ROMs are not illegal very good well ladies and gentlemen boys and girls that's been our show but as a friendly reminder we will do the post show as soon as we wrap up and before we go we have one last segment called what we've been watching and what we've been playing where we talk about just that (coughs) excuse me the cool nerdy stuff that we've been into on youtube on twitch on the internet on blu-ray on dvd maybe even on VHS and also all the games we've been playing and you have a job to do if you're here let us know the cool nerdy stuff you've been watching and playing because we're always looking for cool nerdy stuff to get into now Mac do you want to lead us off absolutely uh, the stuff you've been into absolutely Mr. Nice Guy I've been playing Portal 2 um, played it with a friend and also played through the story mode uh, you know just on my own Man, I forgot. Dude, is it how your much. first time playing it? No, no, I had played it before on the Xbox. Oh, but, okay, good, uh, good. But yeah, uh, man, I had forgotten how much I really enjoyed Portal Two. Um, let's see what else. Uh, as for what I've been watching, you know, catching up on uh, on various shows. Uh, nothing really sticks out too much aside from one thing that I watched earlier today: The Court Jester, uh, an oldie but a goodie with Danny Kay. So, uh, yeah, what about you, Mr. Nice Guy? Dude, so I finally finished the Gears of War 5 campaign, like a month and a half after starting it, and having seen the Game of the Year nominees and the fact that Gears of War 5 is not on there is a shame, because it really is a well-made game. Uh, I won't say that it's like brilliant mechanically or that it's innovative, but in a year that has been kind of slow as far as games go, uh, we don't have a God of War this year, we don't have a Red Dead Redemption this year. In a year like this, I feel like Gears 5 should be on that list, having finished the campaign and played some of the multiplayer. Uh, It's well put together. The voice acting is great. The story is believable. You have to make some tough decisions. And when I say it's believable, I mean it's as believable as a Gears story could be, right? Um, But it's it's just a good package. You know what I mean? It's a solid 8.5 out of 10. And in a year like this one, it being a major release, it should be on the Game of the Year list. It's a shame that it is not. Um, other stuff, obviously I've been doing Super Smash Brothers Melee, and since my brother's in town, I got a little bit of time in with Super Mario Maker 2. Mac, I was disappointed, man. Um, I can see why it didn't sell as well as they had hoped, and why it's already been discounted. It's, you know, you, you think Super Mario Maker infinite replayability, right? You know, people make levels, you play them, but so many of the levels that we play when we search is just people trying to frustrate the person playing their level. They're not even hard, but it's just like trying to figure out puzzles and stuff to get through the level. That's not what I want in a Mario game. I just want to run and jump and get power-ups and solve the occasional puzzle. I don't want to, you know, jump off this and jump off that and have to time things correctly. So I did play some Mario Maker, and it was kind of disappointing, Super Mario Maker 2. Uh, as far as what I've been watching, Mac, have you seen Atlanta? Have I asked you this before? Um, At, yeah, we talked Atlanta? about it during the car ride, but okay. that's about it. That's okay. So I've been watching that, and it's it's just absolutely hilarious. It's it's comedic gold. Donald Glover um, working as a character who is a manager for a rapper that's up and coming. That's the elevator pitch. Uh, really great show. Very, very hilarious. Talks about a lot of issues that we see in society today, but makes it funny. Uh, and what else? I think that's pretty much it, man. Those are the highlights. Uh, I don't know if people were talking in the chat about the stuff they've been watching and playing. I know there are people here 
but I think they're talking about a lot of other stuff. No, no, we've got um, some watching and playing in here. Oh, cool. Go for it, then. Uh, let's see. So Spenis has been doing uh, Pokemon Sword and Started Shield, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, uh, and is looking to get started on Sonic Team Racing. Kane's been playing uh, RimWorld and Halo Reach. And uh, Robo Ridley's been playing Pokemon Sword, uh, League of Legends, and finally got back to that Mega Man speed running. Woo! You got this, Robo Ridley. We're with you the whole way. Um, and uh, oh, and he. As for what people have been watching, we've got uh, Robo Ridley's watching Rick and Morty season four finished. Um, Agretsuko Ag- Ag- season two. Nailed it. And uh, he's finally read Batman's Hush story, the Hush from the comics. Um, we've also got some Red Dead 2 and Rocket Man from Uncle Ruckus. But uh, but yeah, that's what uh, our friends here have been watching and playing. Thanks for those suggestions. You know, once we get through what we're doing, it's nice to have some good, solid, nerdy stuff suggested by you guys for us to get working on. So thanks. Yeah, now I know I've shouted out this YouTube channel many times. There's a YouTube channel I love called Arcade Impossible, where the guy goes out and he collects old arcade machines. He just uploaded a new episode recently, and they don't upload that often anymore, because I guess it's hard to edit. But I'm going to go watch that tonight. I would recommend anyone who's into that type of thing, you know, watching people go and collecting old arcade games um, and the journey that goes into getting it uh, and all that to go check it out. It's pretty sweet, so... And then, Mac, I forgot to mention, Seahawks beat the Vikings yesterday on Monday Night Football. Watched that with my brother and my dad downstairs. Woo, go Uh, sports ball. Killer game. Russell Wilson came through again. Um, But that's what I have for the week. Mac, anything you want to say to the people before we wrap? You're the best. Thanks for watching. Uh, Hit us up on iTunes. Hit us up on all podcast services. Someone ask where we're at. We're everywhere. We're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher. Where else are we at, Mac? We're all over the place. Um, iTunes, yeah, uh, Google Play and Google Podcasts. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are a couple services that we're not on, but I, I feel like we did a pretty good job of putting ourselves on there. But if you do have a recommendation for a specific platform to make sure we get onto, uh, you know, uh, let us know and we'll do our best to, you know, make that happen. We'll be back next week here on twitch.tv backslash two nerds in a pod, 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Mountain. Same bat place, same bat time, same bat rhymes. Keep it nerdy, y'all. Deuces. See ya.